And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including hosts Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Welcome back. I'm Tom Laurie. Our guest mentor this week is J. Walter Freiberg III, or known to most as Terry, who is a social psychologist turned lawyer. He has written several books exploring chronic loneliness. Four Seasons of Loneliness, which is the 2017 Independent Publishers Gold Prize for Best Book of the Year in Psychology and Mental Health, Growing Up Lonely, and more recently, Surrounded by Others and So Alone. These are stories of love, loneliness, and litigation. Welcome, Terry, and let's get started. Uh, do we have a crisis of loneliness today? You bet we do. We really had one before COVID-19. In 2010, 35% of the American population self-identified as chronically lonely. It's got to be worse after COVID-19. And you've got some more stats on loneliness as well uh, with regards to the number of people who are living alone, also the, the number of people who uh, can talk a little bit about the UCLA loneliness scale, because the numbers are pretty uh, striking. They are striking. Um, our society today is significantly different from any other time in human history in the sense that just about a third of Americans, and it's the same in Canada, live alone. And that's excluding student households, college students, graduate students, they're excluded. So uh, roughly speaking, a third of American adults live alone, eat alone, sleep alone. Um, and um, that's a very risky business. And one of the stats I saw in one of your books is that one in four Americans, this is maybe a little bit older, I don't know if it's out of date or not, but one in four Americans uh, said that they spoke with no one about something important to them in the last six months. Yes, uh, that's from a wonderful one of the early books on, on loneliness, actually by other authors. Um, and um, they did a, a very good sized study um, and people were uh, reporting to that kind of number, 25, it was actually a little higher than 25%, uh, said they had spoken to no one in the past six months about anything important. I mean, they'd ask somebody for a quart of milk and I'll take some uh, cheese, uh, but no important conversations, no friends, family kind of conversations where they could bear their soul. And this isn't just about being alone physically. You reported that uh, about half of the chronically lonely people actually live alone, and half who live alone see themselves as chronically lonely. So it, it seems to be a, a disease or a problem, uh, both when you live alone and maybe sometimes when you're with others. That's exactly right. Uh, obviously, living alone is, is a risky business um, in that sense. But there are many among us who are married, have children, neighbors, friends, business partners, and so on. 
and yet subjectively they feel just as alone as objectively isolated individuals. And is this a public health issue? It is a public health issue. The uh, Surgeon General of the United States, uh, both under President Obama and currently he's back in the office under President Biden, Vivek Murthy is his name, wrote a very good book on loneliness um, about five years ago, and it has some powerful statistics, and he absolutely classifies it as a public health issue. Take note, for example, that in the United Kingdom, which is experiencing the same phenomenon, there's actually uh, a minister of loneliness. Uh, a new ministry was created, uh, that'd be about seven or eight years ago, trying to deal with this issue of people being very isolated and also those who are feel those who feel totally isolated, even though objectively speaking, they're around others. Now, again, uh, going back to one of your books, you mentioned that uh, th those that are chronically lonely, and I'm quoting now, are more likely to become diabetic, have sleep disorders, develop high blood pressure, acquire Alzheimer's, and have poorly function functioning immune systems, and uh, and they die at a younger age. Is that they do. Uh, there was a professor, unfortunately, he died far too young, uh, two years ago, John Cacioppo at the University of Chicago, who studied the lethality of loneliness, the link between morbidity, mortality, and isolation. It's terrible for your health to be alone. The statistics are very powerful. And it's almost as bad for those who are subjectively alone, those who feel isolated, though they are involved in networks of relationships, as it is for people who are truly isolated. And let me say one thing. We're all lonely from time to time. That's normal. How could we not be when we're in our 30s or 40s, our grandparents die, we're in our 50s or 60s, our parents die, friends move away, people get sick and die, or they can't do things with us they used to do. Of course, we're all lonely from time to time. How could we not be? But that has nothing to do with chronic loneliness. It's like the difference between sadness, we're all sad from time to time, and clinical depression, which is a mental illness of serious proportion. So what I'm talking about is chronic loneliness, the equivalent of depression, not sadness, if you like. Well, I know that um, I remember when she came to the United States, uh, Mother Teresa, now known as St. Teresa of Calcutta, had a lot to say about this. She, as I remember, the greatest disease in the world is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. And that that her talking about that being the greatest poverty in the world is the poverty of, of love and being lonely. And well, how has uh, COVID added to all of this? What oh my, it, it, just so seriously, there are new statistics. Even, even today, there's a new study out. Um, and um, people are showing uh, uh, about 300% more anxiety and depression than prior to COVID. This is very hard on, on people who are already somewhat compromised in this way um, and feeling uh, completely isolated and cut off, even from the small conversations. For those of us lucky enough to be involved in a full set of relationships, 
it's just icing on the cake to go to the store where your favorite coffee shop and the uh, young person behind the cash register is your pal. You, you're always uh, giving her or him the $5 bill and get your change and you have a nice little smile and a hello and you comment on the weather or the local sports outcome or whatever. Those little conversations are, are icing on the cake unless you have no one at home in which case the set of those small conversations is extremely important for maintaining contact and they're gone. Uh, we're gonna come back in a minute with our guest mentor, uh, Terry Freiberg, uh, a psychologist turned lawyer and the author of Surrounded by Others and So Alone, as well as two other excellent books that explore chronic loneliness. You can go to our website, mentorsradio.com and click on past shows to find many of our great past guests. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. I'm with psychologist-turned-lawyer, Jay Walter Freiberg III, and we're talking about chronic loneliness, which awaits all of us just beyond the horizon and how we can deal with it. Remember, you can also listen to the show or any previous show via podcast and iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device, anytime. Subscribe at thementorsradio.com. So Terry, we were talking about uh, COVID and loneliness, and I know my uh, daughter-in-law is a psychologist in one of the hospitals here in Northern California, and she said they're seeing um, five times the number of attempted suicides that they saw uh, prior to uh, uh, COVID coming into play. And, and the drug use is up. Uh, so they're spending a lot of time in the ER on mental health issues. Absolutely. This, this isolation and, and not to mention the anxiety of a deadly disease out there sort of waiting to get you if you take your mask off too soon one day, um, has enormous effects on, on mental health. And we there are very powerful statistics we've gathered in that would totally back up what your um, daughter-in-law described to you. And it's uh, not just uh, adults, it's children, uh, kids, school-age kids, uh, the people that are in assisted care. I mean, it's a whole continuum of age groups, isn't it? It is indeed. It's actually hitting uh, teenagers the worst. They, they are the most powerfully because they're, you know, at, at a time of life when striking out from family to peer relationships is at the center of, of mental and social development. And of course, that's been stymied by COVID-19. So they show even worse effects than the general population. What was it that uh, got you hooked on uh, studying loneliness? What led you to write about it? What brought you to this juncture? Well, I practiced law at the crossroads of law and psychiatry. So I was, what that means is, uh, for the most part, I was general counsel to Boston's principal social service agencies. And the clinicians would call me up um, for clinical consultation if they ran across something that was legally questionable in their, in their counseling sessions. And over the years, there was more and more mention of people feeling isolated, divided off, banished, um, put out from relationships. And so the phenomenon started to grow. I read a few things on the topic, and I needed to get uh, 
skillful enough on a topic that my, in my doctoral program had never been covered um, about loneliness. So I read what there was and went out to research and learn what I could so I could be useful in these legal consultations with clinical professionals. Now, your, your books, uh, and I've read two of them, uh, you have, I believe, four or five uh, case studies in each book emphasizing a different uh, aspect of loneliness. What, what are the various facets of, of loneliness that you cover? Well, the, um, in the first book, uh, in Four Seasons of Loneliness, I took a look at isolated people, interesting cases uh, of clinical cases that came to me as counsel for the clinician involved, um, or, I, or I was involved in, uh, in a lawsuit that went on for years in several of those, um, and ran into all the facts and was fascinated by them. Um, and then after I published that book, I realized that I had missed half the ball game, uh, very blindsided. And that was all these people who are subjectively lonely, even though they're involved in networks of relationships. And so I went to study that the second time for the Surrounded by Others and Yet So Alone book. And when I took a look at the ways in which people who do have relationships but still feel so terribly lonely and isolated, I found that there were, they fell into five categories. It wasn't theoretically derived. It was just when I looked at my about 1400 case files I had from all 35 years of doing that work, uh, they fell into five categories. And, um, and we can talk about those if you'd like. The five principal ways in which People who do have relationships nevertheless feel terribly lonely. Well, we're going to talk about this. This is Tom Moore. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. We're with author Terry Freiberg, the third, and we're talking about living with living with loneliness and making sure we don't live with it. Uh, so let's talk about those five categories. What are they? They have to do with our, our connections, don't they? They do. Um, and they're sort of logically clear. They're no great surprise. The, the principal one was just people who are too busy to make anything of their relationships. They have, I call them obstructed uh, uh, relationships. So they're, they're just too busy. I, I became counsel for a 10 year old boy, a wonderful kid. And I describe in the book, his story and his parents, the mom was a local mayor uh, of, a, of a town outside of Boston. The dad was a, business, a, a very busy investment kind of guy. And they literally had too little time to, to make their child feel fully loved. And he was an easy kid to love. He was charming uh, and stricken with cancer. It was quite a story. So people are just too busy sometimes. Another time is one-way connection. Sometimes relationships, people have different goals. One person's looking for love. The other person's looking for a, a step up towards getting a job or a recommendation or, or something else in mind. So they're not really on the same wavelength. Sometimes there's fraudulent connections. And I thought one of the most interesting statistics on that was that about 40% of current relationships, love relationships, are formed over the internet. And studies have shown that over half of the, of the self-descriptions that people give on the internet are significantly inaccurate. They're exaggerating how tall they are, how thin they are, how educated they are, how interesting they are, how funny they are, and so on. So they're getting involved in relationships that have a, an untruth at the base of the relationship. 
And that obviously leads to explosive circumstances later on. The third type is tenuous relationships, fourth type, uh, where people, where, where relationships are unsure and uncertain. People are nervous that their mate's going to walk out, that their kid's going to turn on them and not call. Um, and finally, there are dangerous relationships, people who are involved. The famous one, of course, is, is, is domestic violence. When you have often, but not always, the wife beaten and, and treated horrifically, and yet not telling anyone about it, lying about the origin of her bruises and black eyes, uh, because it's still a relationship. It's just a dangerous one. So these are five different patterns by which people get involved in relationships that can't possibly work. They have a major flaw at the base of the relationship. One of the solutions or strategies for uh, making sure you don't end up in a bad place really is to reflect on these relationships and be honest about them. And we're going to get into some of the strategies that people can take. But when I, as, as you know, because you and I talked before the show, I was a single parent and I also had to re-enter the world of dating. And I have lots of stories that really, as you talk about these various types of relationships, uh, really resonate. And, you know, the tenuous, it has to do with the ambiguity. If there's ambiguity, uh, that creates a lot of uh, uncertainty. You know, I knew some people who had had bad relationships before. So when they enter into, into a new one, they carry that history with them and they project into the existing relationship, which then I would think these people have a difficulty uh, having any kind of relationship, healthy relationship, unless they figure out what's going on with them, right? I think that's very true. And I, and I think one way to look at this, we live in an era when we don't all follow through, but we all know we ought to take a look at our exercise patterns, get enough movement. We know we ought to eat the reasonably healthy foods in reasonable amounts. We know we shouldn't drink or smoke too much. So we police, to some extent, each of us polices these things. But what we often don't do is police our relationships and there's some very handy tools that are available on uh, in the books and on the website for, for policing your relationships so you can make sure they're as healthy and strong as possible. Well, when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about some of these uh, dysfunctional relationships or unhealthy relationships and some of the tools. We'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, J.W. Freiberg III, psychologist turned lawyer and the author of Growing Up Lonely, as well as two other excellent books that explore chronic loneliness. Remember, you can now listen to our Saturday broadcast on iHeartRadio or afterwards anytime, anywhere by subscribing to our podcast at TheMentorsRadio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Back, this is Tom Laurie, and I'm with psychologist turned lawyer, Jay Walter Freiberg III, who is a specialist on chronic loneliness and our need to assess, develop, and nurture key connections throughout life. Back to these um, unhealthy situations, uh, the one I... I really want to touch a little bit because I, I saw this a lot when I was uh, back in the world of singles dating, the fraudulent uh, and the false representations and the, and the, uh, and of course, back in the day, they didn't have as much of the internet stuff, but there's, there's quite a bit of deceit online, isn't there? And then you meet somebody in there, the pictures are 30 years old and 
you find out they've got all sorts of other issues. So this, this I think you touched on this, but that, that's a big trap, isn't it? Obviously so. I mean, if, 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 if a relationship is based on, on fundamental dishonesty, it's, it reminds me of ordnance that's dropped during a war that doesn't, doesn't explode, you know, so the bomb goes underground in the soft mud and it's sitting there for 20 years until some local children happen upon it and we know what can happen. It, it, it's that kind of explosive power hidden beneath the surface, but it's there. When it comes to the, uh, when you're talking about the father that was working, uh, addicted to his work and the mother that was a mayor, you know, one of the things that I learned back in the days of being a single parent is that because I was around, I took time off from work to make sure my kids were settled. We had a lot of kids come over and stay on the weekend with our family, with my son and my daughter. They would just hang out because the parents were gone. And that gets into the two income family and they're both um, working hard on their careers. And the one thing I learned in all of that is these children um, don't get a lot of time with their parents. They're dropped off. Uh, they have nice cars. Uh, you know, they, they're given a lot of things, but they don't have a lot of time with their parents. And, and the one thing that I concluded is that the most valuable thing we can give another human being is our time. I, I think it's the greatest sign of love that there is. But that would get into this constricted thing. And I think going back to problems in our society today, it gets back at that time and where people put their time in relationships. I, is that one of the tools? Oh, absolutely. Let's put this in historical perspective for a moment. The, the word loneliness only comes into the English language about 1800. Before that, the world, not just the Western world, the world everywhere was a world of, of small towns and villages or some ethnic neighborhoods in some of the early cities you grew up around your your extended family. People grew up around their first cousins, their second cousins. Today, statistically speaking, uh, amongst those listening to your radio program, more than half of them do not live in the same city as half of their first cousins. So we've spread out. It's very different when, when, when people didn't used to have the social space in which to grow lonely. They were in a village, they were in a town, they were in a small neighborhood, uh, usually ethnically defined, of a small city. Everybody knew everybody. Uh, certainly not a good place to innovate or, or, or break the norms. Uh, but on the other hand, a dangerous place from a point of view of the modern world is from growing lonely because we're not with our families that much. We have a, a lot of a geographical mobility. We have a lot of social mobility. So we're divided off from one another in a way that humans never were historically. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with Terry Freeberg, and we're talking about the importance of healthy connections in life and work in today's world. So we've got the multi-generation. And also you mentioned, you know, babies can be lonely, right? This kids. is. I mean, I talked a little bit about kids, but it's not just we talk about old uh, people who go to uh, uh, assisted living. And they're alone. And maybe you can talk a little bit more about the children again. Absolutely. That's so important. The reason I called that first book on the topic Four Seasons of Loneliness, I meant the four stages of life, childhood, young adult, older adult, and elderly person. And the same issues of, of adequate connections are always there, whether you're one week old or 95 years old. It's the same issue. Why? 
because that's the kind of animal that human beings are. We're the kind of mammal, a small, small pod, family-based herd animal, like the cetacean mammals, the sea mammals, the whales, the porpoises, the dolphins. Some of the herd animals are like that too. Deer, for example, rather like that. Um, and so we are literally neurologically formed by our relationships with our mother, our father, our close kin during our earliest days, weeks, and months of our life. That's when the neuronal connections in the brain are formed. And all that hugging and kissing and nurturing and soothing and teaching that we humans do create a, a relationship-based type of child who's then out to make their own friends and their own relationships. So we humans train our young to go form relationships with others the way birds train their young how to fly, beavers train their young how to build dams, and so on. It's who we are. With the um, world we live in, too, we were talking about the multi-generational changes and Divorce certainly plays a big role in uh, particularly children feeling alone. And then in the work environment, it's uh, companies uh, being bought out, all of a sudden people losing jobs. I run a ministry for people that are in transition. I, I've seen this for 20 years where people are being a job a long time and they lose their job. They've lost their networks. They've lost their friends and they come in like a, a deer and uh, the headlights. And then today I was reading about what's going on with COVID. And maybe you can comment on this. You know, there's a return to these small towns. Uh, there's a uh, outward migration of people out of the big cities. Do you think some of this is people going back and searching for relationships and connection? I don't know. It's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about that. Or whether fleeing the big city, because it looks, especially with New York City starting off the COVID thing in our country, it looked like mm, better to be out of the great big busy city where you run into a million people. So I'm not sure, but I do know that people strive to have relationships and hence we form voluntary organizations and we join clubs, interest clubs. So whether you like bowling or tennis or ping pong or, or book reading, whatever, uh, there's an ever greater tendency of people to join with like-minded other individuals to form groups where they can relate to one another and share experiences. Has there ever been any research around uh, the geographic nature of loneliness, if it's more prevalent uh, out in rural areas or suburban areas or large cities, or is it pretty much across the board? Well, it's, it, it definitely is a large city uh, phenomenon. To the extent rural areas maintain enough viability to have family, uh, they are they still participate in the community structure of yesteryear. Um, some of them look that way, but probably aren't that way. But big cities are very different. Um, I, uh, when I first moved to Boston to be a professor at Boston University, I was divided by a brick firewall from the folks in the next apartment. So my uh, and my wife's bed was probably two feet from the bed uh, of other people that whom we would never meet. So that's a big city phenomenon. Yeah. You live next to someone and you have almost zero relationship. Maybe you say hello on the way out the door, but nothing more. 
Uh, and by the way, a, a fun thing that I that I often like to add in. We're going to have to we're going to have to come back to that. I'm going to take a break here right now with a psychologist turned lawyer Terry Freeberg, and he's the author of the award-winning Four Seasons of Loneliness, as well as two other excellent books. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now. Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Moore, and I'm with psychologist turned lawyer, J. Walter Freeberg III, known as Terry, who is a specialist on healthy human connection and steps we can take to lower our risk of succumbing to loneliness. So, Terry, you were, gonna, you were just in the middle of a thought when I had to cut to break. Uh, you want to finish that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I like to um, add this um, little saying to the conversation because sometimes people think, well, okay, it's no fun to be lonely, but it's not really very serious, is it? And one adds the statistics we looked at earlier about the uh, morbidity and mortality associated with loneliness. Point still doesn't come across. And then I like to say this. So you tell me, which hurts more, a broken arm or a broken heart? Loneliness hurts. We've all had broken hearts, at least as teenagers, when the girl or boy we really liked showed no mutual interest. But even as adults, many of us have run into a shack in relationship and they've ended. And when you have a broken heart, it really hurts. Why? Well, there's a very interesting physiological reason at the heart and soul of loneliness. And that is that there's a, a place in your brain, it's got a, your frontal lobe, it's got a long name, it's called the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex, and that's the processing center for incoming signals of pain. So if you touch something burning hot, it goes to your spine, it'll pull your hand away quickly, but in the meantime, it goes up to the cortex, and that's when your brain interprets, oh my goodness, I've been burned, I need to do X or Y, I need some cold water, whatever. There's only one other use that's made of that neuronal branch. So the neurons that form that that part of the cortex only have one other job, and that is they light up when people feel isolated, shunned, banned, excluded. So our body reserves its top neuron system for physical pain and also the pain of being lonely. It's important to us because our safety as human beings in an earlier world was all about staying closely linked to those around us. Humans weren't very viable on their own, but boy, when they got together and spoke and planned and used their hands, obviously they could come to dominate the natural world. And differentiate for the audience the difference between solitude and loneliness so they're not confused because those are two different things a very different the first line of that first book of mine is this book is about loneliness not solitude yes there are people who live alone and love it and and flourish and they do well they're built for it they're they're capable of handling it and not just monks living on a rocky crag high in the himalaya mountains or something but people who all over the world who, who live alone in a healthy fashion. Um, but that doesn't mean that the other half of people who live alone don't have problems. They are capable of descending into chronic loneliness. So solitude is, is a 
healthy state of affairs for those who are capable and enjoy that, as opposed to loneliness, which is when others live or feel alone, not because they want to and choose to, but because of their circumstances of their lives. And another thing about these connections and healthy connections is uh, the individual who founded or created uh, LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman, did a beautiful paper a few years ago. You can find it on the net called Connections with Integrity. And he puts uh, connections, and he's thinking about it from a business standpoint, but I think it pertains to life as well. Uh, four different levels. The least is I'll do something for you if you do something for me. And the most high-valued connection is I'll invest in this relationship because it's the right thing to do. And I urge uh, listeners to go uh, dig that out. It's a really great article about uh, uh, relationships and connections, and it'll help you uh, analyze those and think about where they really fit in terms of your life. Uh, and this is, uh, again, Tom Laurie. You're listening to The Mentors Radio with author Terry Freeberg, and we're talking about the impact of healthy connections in life and work. Okay, let's now, we have two, two partial segments left. Let's get into what people can do. What are the countermeasures? Well, there are countermeasures, I'm glad to say. And um, I'll do my best to describe it in the time left to us. But if people were are truly interested in looking at their relationships, if they go on the website, uh, thelonelinessbooks.com, and click on, on author, there, there are, um, there are, um, um, I, I have there the UCLA loneliness scale and the relational assessment chart and a, a little 20 page essay I wrote on how to use them. So you, if you want to take a couple of hours, anybody listening and grade your relationships, see how they're doing, you can do that. If you take the UCLA loneliness test, it's just 20 questions. They are, but they're very clever, clever questions, and they will tell you how you're doing overall. Are you an isolated person or are you a connected person? There are questions like, how often do you feel that you are in tune with the people around you? Or how often do you feel that you lack companionship? So when you answer those questions, one through four, kind of thing, and you add them up at the end, you'll get a very accurate picture of just how well-connected you are or are, are or are not well-connected. And then secondly, for individual relationships, you'll find a, another uh, chart I put there called relational uh, assessment chart. And again, it happens to be 20 questions. And if you put in your relationship with person A, person B, person C, and you answer those 20 questions for each of these people, you'll get a very accurate profile of how healthy your relationship is with the people in your lives. Once you know that, once you know where, which, which subcategories are, are, you're putting the weakest numbers up for, then you know what to do about it. So we really, you have some tools, and, and the AARP has something as well, don't they? Uh, there's some AARP... Uh... Absolutely. The AARP, AARP has uh, published some wonderful articles on loneliness over the years, and they also have uh, published uh, an article on the UCLA loneliness test, which is a very powerful test. We've It's been given to hundreds of thousands of people, so we're aware of both its reliability and its validity. It gives you the same answers over time, and they're meaningful answers 
about how well connected the respondent is who fills out the questionnaire. Well, you remind me of a book written by an Australian, Bonnie Ware, who worked with people who were late in life. She wrote a very good book called The Top Five Regrets of Dying, of the Dying. And regret number four, which really is gets to the point, is I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And this is a universal thread with all of the people that she worked with who are in the latter stages of their life, which really gets to the heart of what you're talking about in terms of relationships. And we're going to come back in a few more minutes and continue talking about countermeasures. And we are uh, with our guest mentor, J. Walter Freiberg, Freiberg III, psychologist turned lawyer. And we're talking about missed and faulty connections that contribute to chronic loneliness, one of today's major health issues. You will find all of our show notes and links at thementorsradio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with psychologist-turned-lawyer, Terry Freeberg. And we're talking about chronic loneliness, which awaits all of us just beyond the horizon and how we can deal with it. So, Terry, let's go back to that uh, quote that I pulled out of your book. If, uh, chronic loneliness awaits all of us just beyond the horizon. Maybe you could. T- <laughs> so, so it's something we're all going to face unless we take some action, right? Uh, well, not necessarily, but but um, it is uh, so important to keep one's eye on the quality of your relationships. How are they doing? And hence, in the last section, I talked about taking a look on the website, thelonelinessbooks.com, under articles, and you'll find the scales that, and uh, little quiz, um, questionnaires you can give yourself and see how you're doing. But it's possible to rebuild relationships or to strike out to make new ones. It's easier than trying to lose that extra 30 pounds or do a bunch of exercise when you really haven't done any in 20 years. But it's really quite feasible to do a better job and improve your relationships. Have you called your cousins lately? Have you thought about connecting with some of those old high school friends? We now have these remarkable tools like Zoom and FaceTime and others, because when you have not just voice, but you have the picture of, of your interlocutor's face, you get what psychologists call mirroring. You see the body language and the facial expressions that accompany the words, and those are extremely important in relationships. The trick is to make use of these of these tools and link up with people electronically if they're too far away to visit, and of course, try to figure out when you can visit. And I imagine there's a, a call to action when you lose a relationship, either through death or when it, whatever, right? Isn't there a getting back? I mean, you're talking about old relationships, but also reaching out uh, and developing a lot of new relationships. Absolutely. I mean, some of us have relationships that really were based on, for example, work we once did or a hobby we once had. So you think the relationship is alive, but if you were to look closely, like with that relational assessment chart I, I mentioned earlier, you'd find that it gets a very low score. So either improve it if possible or move on and meet someone new from your new hobbies or your new interests. But being active and working on your relationships is as important as watching your weight and getting good exercise and eating healthy food. 
And you mentioned in your book that men are particularly adept at misrepresenting to themselves the quality of their relationships. Maybe you could give a, a little push to the men on what they need to do, a little extra. Yeah, yeah it's we men who are the weakest at this. Um, women uh, in there, uh, there have been some wonderful content studies of conversational issues. And women talk about how they feel, how their husband's treating them, all sorts of important things. Whereas when I look at my own a relationship uh, conversations uh, with important relationships. They're often about how the sports team is done or, or the snowstorm that recently hit. Um, and that's all fine, but a real absence of talking about how you feel or what you're afraid of or what, or what it, what it means to age and find you can no longer do X, Y, or Z. So we men need to be more active and clever by far than we have been if we're going to stay psychologically healthy. And we got about 30 or 40 seconds left, but how would you define a, a healthy connection? What is it that it gives us? A, a healthy connection is, a, is when you have a relationship with someone that's, that's not tenuous or fraudulent or, or too uh, stuffed up with nonsense, that where there's the time and the concern to deeply and sincerely communicate with one another and where you feel confident that both people want this relationship to go on indefinitely. It's a sanctuary, isn't it? It is. And people find safety. You bet. I, I mean, the thing I say when I was in the world of singles is that everyone was looking for a relationship that was safe. It seemed to be one of the themes. That's what human beings are all about. We're the kind of mammal that need to be successfully around others like us to feel nurtured and safe. That's how we sleep well and eat well and digest well. That makes life work for human beings, feeling safely connected. Well, I encourage everybody to go to the website that Terry mentioned. We'll post it on our, on our website. And I want to thank you very much, Terry. This is such an important issue, and it affects people both at work and in their life and how we treat people and the importance of connection. We've been talking to Jay Walter Freeberg III, the author of three excellent books that explore chronic loneliness and the countermeasures one can employ to keep this ever-present monster at bay throughout life. We'll be posting links to all of Terry's books on our website and his website, TheMentorsRadio.com. And when you're there, subscribe to future shows. You can also listen to us online, any device, anytime, on any podcast platform, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.